The Guardians presented Miggy Cabrera with a guitar as a going-away present. Big surprise. But the real gift were all those juicy pitches they were served up over the years. You're listening to the Selfie is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Fly ball, deep right field. Back to Spencer at the one and two against the wall. Subscribe to Selfie is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. Ah, yes, friends. Welcome to the Selbius Godcast. I'm TJ. That's Zach. Thank you for clicking play at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you happen to catch this show. Thank you for being a Patreon supporter if you are one. Come join us over there where you get access to the Discord. And oh, yeah, you get an additional $1 show per week. So a couple extra dollars, you get some extra shows throughout the month. Apparently people like it. Not sure why. But we'll keep accepting those listeners that continue to join us, Zach. You know, times are rough when we're introducing the podcast at the beginning of the show. Well, I get accused by you mostly of not ever promoting this thing. So I figured get it out of the way early so that that way, 30 minutes in, you don't realize, hey, we haven't told anybody who we are, what we do, (laughs) when we do it. And let's do it all right now, SeatGeek, if you want to go watch some of these games. Not sure why, but if you do, use code SELBY. You get $20 off, or 10 what is it? I don't even remember what it is now. $20 off your first ticket purchase. Yeah, $20 off your first ticket purchase. My brain's everywhere this morning. What what do you expect? I mean, I'm, I'm witnessing three out of four where the Tigers are just, I would like to give them credit for their pitching. But, I mean, the Guardians' offense, look what the Guardians' offense was. They they had Oscar Gonzalez hitting third in a game. Ramon Laureano, who the, the A's didn't want, was hitting cleanup for you. I don't care if they're facing a lefty. I don't care about any of that stuff. It's ridiculous. Completely ridiculous. So, of course, I'm going to talk about guitars and seat geek instead of actually referencing anything that took place on the field. So, a couple of my colleagues and I spent the last week working on Life in the AL Central, which is on pace to be the worst division in MLB history, surpassing the AL Central from five years ago. But at least that division had a team that you believed was the World Series contender in Cleveland. Um, this one is it's it's atrocious, and we've talked about it all year. But so often during the process of crafting the story we were writing, we thought, or I thought. Is this mean? Are we being mean? Um, but it's just, it's it's a lot of bad baseball. And I think the Tigers and the Guardians were the perfect lens to tell the story through because there was a lot of bad baseball. And these are two teams. It's a slap fight for second place in the worst division in league history. And... I did not expect the Guardians to (laughs) get themselves in in that this year. Yeah, I was just trying to to piece that together this morning. If I were to rank some of the most recent disappointing seasons, where would this one rank? And that was nowhere in the show notes that I sent you last night, but it was just as I was driving around this morning, I was it's always great when you get woken up by your five year old like shaking you, Can you go get donuts this morning? And on one hand, you're like, yeah, donuts, coffee, I'm all for that. But I'm also in bed and not really wanting to move at that very moment. So there's like that 
groggy moment of, but I got to go do a show, but it's donuts. As I'm out driving, I'm just thinking about it. Where, where does this rank? Is this, is this up there with 2008, where you come off of a, a team that could have won a World Series, blew it against the Red Sox, but they were in the middle of their, what was supposed to be this nice new era of Cleveland baseball. Do you look on 2006 with some degree of disappointment because 2005 felt like a similar jumping off point that 2022 did? Is 2014 in that mix because they didn't follow up the wild card run of 13 with any degree of, of greatness? And what, what, just we're talking about recent years here, last 20, 25 years. Where does this rank in disappointment? So, yeah, those are the three I feel like we've been comparing it to all season. I think in terms of, well, I was going to say the type of team. I, the bullpen is straight out of 2006. I think just overall, it's probably 08 because, like, the 07 team, obviously, I mean, they could have won the World Series. They also, that was surprising. I mean, I think there was cautious optimism because the team was good in 05, had a little bit of a backslide in 06, and I think the bullpen was a big reason why. Because that 06 offense, remember, was good. Hafner went nuclear, Sizemore was awesome. Um, But so then I think going ahead into 07, it was like, like, they should be good, right? And then they were excellent. And then 2008, you trade CC Sabathia midseason, and... I think it's a reality check of just how far away is this team. And I think I think that's a question we need to ask now. I don't know that we need to do it today, but I don't know. We met with Chris Antonetti on Sunday and he sounded kind of down, which he's usually a robot, so that was surprising. <laughs> um, but even he went out of his way a couple times to say a couple things. One, that... And this was just totally unprompted. It was just like a quick lull, and he just interjected that he's he had to go back and force himself to look at Jose Ramirez's first couple years in the majors and his numbers to remind himself how long and nonlinear the developmental process can be for a young hitter. That's um, bad. So I don't know if that means we're all going to be watching Gabriel Arias and Brian Rocchio Tyler Freeman try to and Oscar Gonzalez try to figure it out for the next three seasons or what? But um, that was interesting. And then he said, you know, we were talking about just the AL Central, and like I asked him, does this feel like a division race, or is it just are you just looking at development here the rest of the way? Um, and you know, he says some days it feels like a heated race, and some days. He said, I, I think we recognize we have a long way to continue to build to where we want to be as a championship team. And that was interesting because that was, you know, I think 10 months ago, everybody was saying, oh my God, this team was you know, a couple runs away from advancing to the ALCS and had the youngest roster in baseball. And that didn't even include all their top prospects who weren't quite up yet. And now I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what the window looks like. I don't know just how close or how far this team is. Um, so, 
it's it's a weird place to be. And then also in the AL Central, I think is a weird place to be. And it's a weird team to fully grasp because the bullpen has kicked them numerous times as we've talked about and have gotten hate mail over <laughs> recapping to the point where if you look at what they probably should be, not based on the talent they have now, but just the overall arc of the season, they're only at minus five in, in their run differential, which would suggest they're right around a 500 team. Their record is not that. There's seven games below that. So you would actually look at this season and think this is probably closer to this point to being an 80-81 win team based on the way that it should have went compared to what actually did happen because the bullpen blew some games and they weren't as good in one-run games as they were last year. And so in to, you know looking at that you would say okay well they're not that too fo- they're not too far off. You wouldn't look at this the same way you'd look at a team that you know just won 72 games and you're thinking how do they make up 20 games in the standings to go be a legitimate team that could win 90 and actually compete for this division not just because everybody else stinks. But at the same time, this is not the same team, and that's what makes it difficult. You know, It's not a team that has Josh Bell in it and Ahmed Rosario in it, and it's a team that's struggling offensively because you have so many younger players. But is this their true talent level? Are they getting out some of the, the growing pains now so that, that Brian Rocchio can run next year, Gabriel Arias can take off next year? That's, that's what's difficult. You look at this and you think, is this a team that's that's one piece offensively away from being a real legitimate contender again? Right now, I would say probably not. But how can I say that given what we've we've the love we've given the starting rotation? And look at how good and how how good you feel about that group moving forward. Is this team that far away from from being able to fix the other side here? Yes and no. Yeah, I don't bring that topic up or that prompt up to say one way or the other. I, I I don't know. It's just, I didn't think I wouldn't know if that makes sense, right? At no point coming into the year did I think, <laughs> sure, you know, I feel like late in the season, I'm going to have no concept of just where this team is. <laughs> um, which kind of leads me, and you're, you're kind of guiding me to this point. I wanted to make another thing, not on our list of prep work, but just something that I'm really tired of. Um, where do you think, let's say they never made any, any of the three trades. What's different about the last three weeks in your mind? Hardly anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do believe that Josh Bell would have went on a similar run here in Cleveland. I think Rosario maybe would have been a little bit more of a steadying force offensively. So the offense probably is a little bit better. Do I think that this team is really, like, if we're being honest with ourselves, on the level of the Twins, if you just kept Rosario and Bell and Aaron Savali? No. Don't think that at all. I'm really tired of the whole discourse of, they were one game out and they waved the white flag. Like, yeah. Yeah. They shifted their attention to next season, and they are the front office is to blame for that. The players are to blame for it too. At no point, like you watch, if you watch this team for four months, 
What about that performance shouted like, they need to buy, they're one piece away, like, y- you gotta do this. I mean, the, the day of the trade deadline, they were under 500 in the worst division in league history. And I just, I, I think the frustrating thing, because again, like fans, think what you ever you want. It's, that's fine. I've seen media members try to play this off and it's revisionist history and it's just like silliness. And it, you can tell a lot of times it's, it's quote unquote media members who half pay attention, if that. And it, it's, I just, like the trades they made, I don't know that they made the team demonstrably worse. The rotation's been just fine without Aaron Savali. And at least now they have an, a, a hitting prospect who they can pencil into the lineup next season. I mean, God, imagine if... Well, that's, that's what I... Imagine if they didn't have that. Right. That is one of the things that you're holding on to, like, with some degree of, of hope for next year, is that that helps fix one of the problems that ails you. Now, I mean, you're still looking at two problems in your outfield. You still have shortstop unsettled, but you're thinking... Okay, this is a guy that gets us a little bit closer to an answer, I hope. God, imagine being, they're what, six games? Six games yeah, out. Yeah, six games in back of the Twins right now. Imagine they didn't make the trades, they're three back of the Twins right now, and you didn't feel like you have an answer <laughs> in, in, in the minor leagues or, or, or someone that you think could be an answer. And, oh, yeah, you aren't learning anything else about any of the middle infielders to any degree because – Rosario continues to play shortstop. Oh, and Aaron Savali has just continued to be a solid starting pitcher, and you never turn that into anything else. Like that, that to me is the scenario I actually don't like. I would prefer to be in this scenario than the one where you kept those three players and you're still just waiting around in me- mediocrity. I mean, come on, that's that's ridiculous. And here's the dirty little secret: Shane Bieber and Tristan McKenzie. The best case scenario for those guys is not going to be to give you seven innings in the playoff start. I mean, they're still playing long toss. The hope is that they'll move to bullpens here pretty soon. Then you work your way, your pitch count up in a bullpen session, and then you go out on a rehab assignment, and you're looking at best-case scenario like mid-September return to throw three innings, just like Bieber did two years ago. So that's not going to move the ledger on whether you win a division or not. And... I mean, Ahmed Rosario is at shortstop. You're also not giving run to the kids who could be your shortstop next year. So there was there was a lot of, and we don't need to rehash all this. I'm sorry for bringing this up, but I just, I, I keep seeing this narrative out there and it's like, did you people watch the first four months of the season? I mean, this isn't like they were 60 and 50 and were a game out. And it was like, okay, like you've proven you can be, a consistently above 500 team. Now go add a couple pieces and win. This was a team that had to get hot to not even get back to 500. So I, I, I don't, and not to mention like they have the toughest schedule in MLB in the second half. So I, I don't, I don't understand that. Nothing about this team's play since maybe the first road trip of the year has suggested this is a legitimate title contender. And even if they kept those guys and somehow stumbled into an 82-win division-winning season, are you like are you camping out for the banner raising next season? Like I, I just I don't get it. <laughs> the the AL well, Central in this collective winning percentage is 4.33, the lowest of all time pre- prior to the season is 4.36. Like we need to stop letting 
the patheticness of the division overshadow reality here where like this yeah it, it's it's we have i think not everybody but like we have fallen so hard for the narrative of anything can happen once you get in and like technically that's true but the reason teams get hot at the right time is because they have enough talent to get hot this team did not for four months and so keeping three players who like one was giving you value <laughs> like and that's the one you actually got a blue chip prospect for like it, it nobody, makes no sense by the way me. nobody liked josh bell nobody liked ahmed rosario right. when they were here they all everybody wanted them to sit and the, here's, here's the hilarious thing in a season that has been awfully hilarious Cole Calhoun, the pickup that they got, has played better than Josh Bell did when he was here. So let's just say you you don't trade for Cole Calhoun, right? And we'll get to Cole Calhoun in a second. He's got a 127 WRC plus since he's been here. Whether or not he should be playing or not, let's just buy the transitive property here. Say that that replicates what maybe you thought you would be getting from Bell. Are they better? I mean, you're, you're getting more offense now out of Cole Calhoun than you were getting out of Josh Bell when he was here. He's hitting 311 with a 380 on base percentage and a 422 slug in 12 games. So, like, okay. That replaces Bell. So there's... Is the offense still better? I think I think it's simple where you you boil it down to, even if Bell gets hot here and he remains in Cleveland... And they thought, too, that he had better days ahead of him because they couldn't understand why it didn't work for those first four months. But let's say he has a pretty decent final two months. The question is, you don't know if he's opting in or opting out. And if he opts in, then you're like, God, you better deliver because there's nothing we can do. We're stuck. And like, are you acquiring Manzardo in this scenario then? Because then he's sitting at AAA all year because you have Bell and Naylor occupying first in DH. So it makes sense to me. And again, like, were people pissed? But I know he's gone on a tear with the Marlins for three weeks. Like, were, were people pissed the moment he got traded? I thought a lot of people thought it was <laughs> no, no, a coup no. to just get off that salary. Now, the, the the bigger overriding thing here, and again, we didn't. Uh, here we go again, spending twenty minutes on things we weren't planning to spend time on. But, I mean, ownership is probably going to deserve some extra blame here because will they spend the money that they saved? You know, are they going to find ways to address the outfield? If you know, I, I think they need two outfielders, so are they going to? spend money? Are they going to at least be willing to absorb a contract in a trade? Like, I guess the question is just how hamstrung will the front office be in trying to acquire players to fill these glaring deficiencies and how scared off will they be by going over two in their free agent pursuits last winter? In this scenario too, Josh Naylor's hurt. Jose Ramirez has not been great here recently. And a st a, the starting pitching staff is fueled by a bunch of, of young kids that are going to be nearing their inning totals. How does this set yourself up to be truly a team that is, is going to do any sort of damage in September? 
it doesn't shape up to be that way. Yeah, you could say crazy things happen. If your game plan is 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 largely backed by the crazy things can happen mantra, then you probably don't have a firm leg to stand on here. We sh- we should not have spent twenty minutes well, doing I, this. I think. <laughs> I mean, my degenerate brain thinks of this like if I'm going to place a wager on something crazy happening, like if I'm going to bet on the Cardinals winning the Super Bowl this year, like there's a reason Vegas is offering me steep, steep, steep odds, right? When you run a team, you're not betting on that. Like you want safer odds when it dictates your present and your future. And so like, yeah, crazy things can happen. And, you know, if you just get hot at the right time, we've seen like teams going to run. Okay. But, but you're not banking on that. You need to put yourself in the best position to make those things less of a long shot. And they didn't think that there was a chance to do that this season. I tend to agree with them. I think they're at fault for that being an option in the first place. Yeah. But you're there now. Like you, you need to take advantage of whatever situation situation you're in in the very moment. You can't just sit there like, well, now I'm not going to do anything because I'm mad because it didn't go the way I wanted. Well, that's how you end up shooting yourself in both feet. Don't do that. Don't do that just out of spite. Take advantage of the situation you're in now. That's what we said at the deadline, that it's a shame that they're in this position. They have nobody else to blame but themselves and, and maybe some degree of, of just the nature of baseball bullpens and ebbs and flows of every single year. But you still, it doesn't change that you were in that position now. So how do you, how do you best push the organization forward from this very point? That was the question at this point in time. Now, we didn't intend to take it this way. Maybe it's a good thing that you did because I actually feel something about this topic. The the whole revisionist history of this team was, was so close. And no, no, if you're being honest with yourself, I really don't think anybody truly in their heart of hearts believes that they were this close and they really should have held on to these these players. I think it's more of a case of trying to deal with the, all the emotions you feel when this team doesn't live up to expectations and just lashing out at the, the next closest hot take that you can find. But it's okay. Again, I feel something about that, Zach. What I struggle with, and I need you to help me on this, Cole Calhoun, this has all the signs of something I should be very much into having a side on this topic. The thought of playing a veteran player in the midst of a season that is circling the drain. And yeah, he's performing well, but what is that getting you closer to? Again, second place. What does that matter? Got a lot of younger players that you should be playing here and learning more about setting yourself up for 2024. Cole Calhoun is not part of the mix in 2024. I don't believe so. It's the same Ahmed Rosario argument all over again. But why, Zach, do I not care about this? I'm seeing people take sides on this debate. I'm seeing people upset every day he's in the lineup. And I get it, but I can't, no matter how hard I try, I can't force myself to feel one way or the other about Cole Calhoun. I feel total indifference about this. Please help me. Why do I feel total indifference about this? Because normally you'd be mad about it, but it's the position he plays. and It's the fact that he is hitting. And I think the fact that Look, I mean, I think they needed leadership. And it is funny because 
That's part of why they valued Ahmed Rosario so much, but it was the position he played. And they were done with him defensively. I think offensively, they thought he'd rebound from where he was the first couple months. That's why he kept hitting second, kept playing every day against righties. But it's the position. And, I mean, we argued on the show that they could have mixed in some of these young shortstops just more often instead of letting Rosario play every single day for four months and then just handing the keys over to these kids who, like, Arias, there were stretches where he went, like, weeks without playing. And now they're like, well, we need to see him every day. Well, you could have. It doesn't have to be 100% or 0%, right? Um, Calhoun isn't... He's not directly blocking anyone right now. I do think... I, I I guess I, I don't I don't feel that strongly about it either, but I would say like Rokio and Arias and Freeman should be in the lineup as often as possible. And if that means Arias needs to play some first base, he is the most he's like the most the finished product defensively. I don't think they need to learn about him at shortstop. I think they're confident in their evaluations of him defensively. So I guess my only hang-up would be to get Rokio and Freeman in there on a daily basis. Arias is probably going to have to play more first or more right. And then it boils down to, do you want to see Oscar Gonzalez or do you want to see Cole Calhoun? And I think Oscar Gonzalez needs those at-bats. So I see both sides. I have to. I see both sides. What's going to happen when Naylor comes back? That's my question. Yes, that, that's important. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Is You're right. It's positionally not an obvious choice that somebody should be playing. If Manzardo was in the minor leagues, like, ready to go and not rehabbing his way back, and Cole Calhoun is taking these at-bats, I think that would be another reason for me to feel more strongly about it. Maybe one of the biggest things that has given me some degree of, of pause in this is I don't know where I stand on the down the stretch, as you're circling this drain, how important is it to have, as you termed it, a, a veteran punching bag? A guy that plays and is in the lineup, maybe not every day, but like 60, 70% of the time, so that the prospect isn't just getting beat down by a 1-for-22 stretch, and every single day they're going out there and they're losing games. I, I don't know where I stand on that. But it doesn't matter. I, earlier in the season... Earlier in the season when you had a healthy Josh Naylor in the lineup and Jose Ramirez was performing and you still had Josh Bell, that's when I was like, okay, go to another younger kid at that Ahmed Rosario position because the rest of the lineup still has enough veteran presence within it that it doesn't matter. This, I'm, you know, I'm not sure. Like, Part of me just wants to give the, 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 the kid every opportunity to just play every single day, and I think that's a positive. But I, I also still feel like there's there is some degree of not wanting to just beat somebody over the head. So I, I, I don't know where I stand on this. I, 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 I mean, I don't, but it, I don't know what camp I'm in here. You don't need to be in a camp. It doesn't matter what you or I think. And this is where we can be critical of the manager. We can be critical of the front office and we can identify things we would have done differently. Things we have questions on that we'd like them to explain to us. So we don't have questions about. And a lot of times they can't answer that for whatever reason. But in this instance, where I'm not in that clubhouse at 7 o'clock, 10 minutes before first pitch, I'm not in that clubhouse 
30 seconds after the last pitch of the seventh straight loss. Those are the moments when you know if you need Cole Calhoun in that clubhouse or not. And Terry Francona and Chris Antonetti are going to have a much better handle on that than you or I would. And like, who am I to say that they don't need a veteran presence to get through these last two months? I, I don't know. How am I supposed to know that? And I don't think the young players know that either because they haven't been around and they don't, how would they know any better? So the fact that they made that move immediately, right when they did, right when the clubhouse was in disarray, right when they made all the trades, right when the team's lineup was falling apart, tells me they felt really strongly about this. And I don't think it was just, all right, we made all these trades. Uh, let's get Cole Calhoun. I think it was like, hmm. We probably are going to need some veteran presence in the clubhouse. Let's look around the league and see if there's some 30-year-old, 30-something in AAA who we have good reports on their reputation and their leadership and whatever. And they identified right. him. Like, they've got to buy into that. They've got to, they've got to buy. Like, it's a very unique situation mm -hmm. where Cole Calhoun wants to have the staying power to get to his 10 years in the major leagues and wants to hold on to it for a little bit longer. So... Maybe you end up playing the role that you may never even envision yourself playing within. It's a, to me, he's almost like the, you know, and you remember all those '90s baseball movies? It'd be like the, no, like the rough. No, you didn't Sandlot. watch any '90 like Rookie of the Year. Yeah, yeah, Henry Rongardner. Okay, Sandlot. Good arm. Okay, yeah, little big league. There's always the like twins. somebody that, like throughout the year, they realize they got to buy into this. And so by the end of the movie, they're like the big cheerleader and they end up being the, the person that helps the the young either player or manager in Little Big League. They, they help them along the way because they, they buy in fully to the character. <laughs> that was Cole Calhoun to me. Like he's got to yeah. buy into just being like the biggest cheerleader and like, yeah, man, you, you got it. Like the, this is going to be the most epic high five you've ever got on this double, dude, because I'm so proud of you. Cole Calhoun buying into being that. <laughs> I also think the bench dad. I I don't know. <laughs> I think from like the managerial standpoint too. You are still trying to win games, and I know it's tricky balance because you're trying to develop and you need to see and learn more of these about these kids. But like two weeks ago, if he thought Cole Calhoun was a better option for them to try to win a game than. I don't know, Oscar Gonzalez on a particular day, like, I get it when you were only a few games out, even though I may not have, and maybe they don't really buy into their chances. I understand wanting to save face in that regard. I, I just think, like, Rokio and Freeman, like, these guys shouldn't be sitting on the bench two straight days or three straight days. And it's only going to get more crowded when Fry comes back and Naylor comes back. Um... And then I have a lot of questions about how they're going to do this because you need an answer. And they've even said, like, we need to figure out who our shortstop is. We can't go into spring training just having no idea who fits where. So I don't know how much you can really solve in six weeks, but they need more information than they have now. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right. And that's where the disconnect is for me, because on one hand, I feel like this is an, an opportunity where the points don't matter and it's all made up, to quote one of your favorite shows of all time. 
But I also don't know, as you're saying, I don't know if there's any benefit. And I'm not saying that there is or I'm not saying that there isn't. I'm saying I don't know if there's any sort of benefit to having the veteran presence. I have no idea. Part of me thinks it's hogwash. But the other part of me sees Brian Rocchio go through a stretch where he's like, what, what, one for seven with six strikeouts? And it's like, do I want, is, is that kid ever going to feel like, like if you're just forcing him to play every single day, is he just like panicked and snowballed and this thing can go out of control for him and that hurts his development? I don't know. I'm, I'm asking the question. So I don't know. It's, it's the most cliche thing we ever hear. We hear it so often and I can't stand it. But you know when players say that they watch other players go about their business? And you hear that and you're just like, I, what am I supposed to do with this quote? What does that mean? Why are, I hate how every athlete just says that. But you know what? What they mean is that someone like Calhoun or even Ramon Laureano or Juan Uribe and Mike Napoli and Rajay Davis, their presence can be beneficial. Because if you are a, a prospect and you come up and you understand the situation where it's, this is an audition and you need to prove yourself and you're a deer in headlights and you're looking around this clubhouse and you know there are young players and you can you can latch on to them because you're kind of going through it together for the first time, but it does help when there's someone who's been there and done that and can tell you what to look for in a scouting report and can tell you little tricks of the trade. I just, this is one aspect and I'm not saying Cole Calhoun needs to be hitting third every day the rest of the year. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm more talking about his presence. Why I understand why they acquired him. Cause you still need to prioritize the young kids in the lineup. Like at bats are what are going to help them. Not just, sitting on the bench and watching Cole Calhoun take all those at-bats. But right. But I do think, like, if the players say that there are benefits to this, then who am I to say there aren't? <laughs> right. And at this point, it hasn't frustrated me totally. As I've indicated, I'm pretty indifferent about it. That might change as this year unfolds and guys get healthier and there are other opportunities like if Valera keeps mashing and hitting home runs at AAA, are you going to deny him an opportunity to get a taste of the big leagues and get that out of the way like you are with Rokio and you have done in the past with Arias and Freeman? I, that's when I would probably be closer to taking a side. Right now, I'm, I'm forcing myself because it just feels like something I should be very passionate about, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. Right. I think... All I can say is like his playing time should it should only decrease as the season goes on. I like I I don't know. I I really don't like know where Calhoun fits in a lineup when Naylor comes back. But I don't know. I don't know. Or maybe you sign him to a three year extension and just <laughs> throw him in right field. <laughs> I guess you're asking, do I want to be pre angry? I'm not quite ready to be pre angry yet. And I think I'm with you because I feel like I've talked out of both sides of my mouth where I'm like, I don't have an issue with him in the lineup yet, and I kind of get it. But also, it's more so when I see Rokio or Freeman's name on the bench, and I'm like, that. 
you're only yeah. hurting yourself. Well, I don't I don't really have I don't have a problem when it's like rotating yeah. and keeping them both in games, but it, as you said, if it's like 2-3 days where they're not playing, then I have a real problem. Then we need to readdress what we're doing here. So far, I haven't been too bothered by it. And it, maybe it's just because this season has become what it is that I'm not feeling any sort of of passion for this topic, but I was just hopeful that maybe you could help steer me in a direction one way or the other, but you've done neither of these yeah, things. Yeah, we were at a fork in the road and I drove the thing straight. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. <laughs> Which is why Cole Calhoun, with all that veteran presence, is the most important player down the stretch for the 23 Guardians. Okay, clearly not. But who do you think is the most important player over the final month plus of the season? Do you want my answer, or do you want my answer? I don't know what changing the inflection of the way you're saying it. So I'll say Brian Rocchio. That impacts the answer. Because I think they need as much intel on him going into next season as anyone else. Because I think, I mean, look, we see the tools with Arius, but... He's actually gotten some run, and not enough to know exactly what he's going to be. But, like, he'll be around next year. He'll get chances again. But I don't know what kind of hitter Rokio is. He Last season and this season at, in the minors were very, very different profiles. And then he's come up to the majors, and it's like a, the worst of the, both years. Like, like, he's striking out a lot more than he ever did and then he's also not hitting for power so it's just it's very strange and i don't know what to make of him he's great defensively um so i think he's the guy i just have the most questions about but my actual answer is a guy who's probably not even going to be in the majors so maybe it's not doesn't follow the rules of your question but I think the most important guy is Kyle Manzardo. I think you just need him getting to a place in the next month where you're just like, that That dude should be on the opening day roster. This should not be a, hey, maybe he'll come up in June when we can save 75 cents. No, it's it's that guy should be forcing his way into onto the opening day lineup. And... I think because he had some injuries this year and because he his numbers suffered a little bit, I, I think it's just important that maybe he finishes strong. So, and because you need him, like, I don't think you're going to be able to craft the perfect opening day lineup. I think there are too many holes that you can't fill all of them. So you need him to f fill one internally. And if he can do that, and if you're confident in a month, that he'll be able to do that next year, I think that's a big victory. I wouldn't disagree with you. It'll be interesting to see once he is healthy in the final month, do you give him a shot in the major leagues? Why I mean, not? you could, sure. 
I'm not banking on that, but I guess it's not impossible. Remember, you only get to call up two extra players in September now. That hurts. It's That's true, and I'm sure they're going to be looking at some pitching to help themselves out. I don't disagree with what you said. He's clearly an, a very important player for 24 and beyond. I still... I'm just going to keep defending this hill. I think it's Gabriel Arias, and I think he needs to, by the end of the year, make you feel better about just handing him the 24 opening day. You're comfortable with him being the shortstop out of the gate. And then whatever happens, happens, and if he has to move around positionally to make space for somebody else, but you still like the bat or you like the versatility, fine. But I want him to continue to prove that there's room for growth in there and it's the biggest thing that will continue to haunt him. Is he able to to get better in the areas that prevent him from getting to his top talent? In a lot of ways, it's pitch selection or uh, whether or not he can hit more fly balls to get the ball off the ground to take advantage of some of the great exit velocities that he's demonstrated. And here recently, I've been very pleasantly pleased, pleasantly pleased with some of the growth we have seen there. Like, it's not a finished product, and my my argument is always, yeah, if you're looking at Arias now as the finished product, no, he's not perfect. But I, I'm i just going to keep betting on this kid. If you can play a darn near good, maybe elite shortstop, and play other positions too, and by the way, hit the ball over 100 miles per hour with any degree of frequency, I'm going to bet that as he gets older, he'll elevate a few more fastballs. And he'll be a little bit better. And also, just sees more pitches and gets more familiar with how Major League Pitching operates. But I was looking at the numbers. He is sixth on the team in number of balls hit over 100 miles per hour this year. He's got 37 of them. The guys that are five spots in front of him are all regulars that have been playing, or in Josh Bell's case, did play before he was jettisoned. Jose first, Naylor second, Bell third, Rosario fourth, Jimenez fifth. Everybody else is a regular that has much more playing time. And then here's Arias, who's ninth on the team in plate appearances, who's sixth in number of balls hit over 100 miles per hour. And at the rate he's going, he would surpass some of these other regulars. Then I looked at it. Well, let's look at even a little bit further, 105 miles per hour. And he jumps up even more. He's actually fourth on the team in balls hit at 105 miles per hour or harder. Bell, Naylor, Ramirez, Gabriel Arias. Again, ninth on the team in plate appearances. He is clearly not his final form. And as people have said, to fully embrace and take advantage of the higher exit velocities, you got to get some more line drives and balls in the air. You have to, because as Yandy Diaz demonstrated early in his career, you can only be so excited about a ball that's 110 if it's right at the shortstop and it's thrown over for an out. You want doubles? You want home runs? You got to get that stuff in the air. I'm going to give him the chance because look at the arm. Look at the glove. Look at the versatility. And then the ability to hit the ball hard. Those are all skills I'm going to bet on. Maybe he never becomes like this fully full-fledged star. But isn't this like a building block in some way? Hasn't he shown enough to be a a very useful player? And I think down the stretch, just him getting more comfortable and maybe just with the regular playing time showcasing that he can get the ball in the air more and that some of the discipline that he showcased this year, like he's taking some walks, that there is something to that and he's not just a guy that's leaving the bat on his shoulder.
I think he can show us a lot in the final month. Last year was crazy, wasn't it? Because <clears throat> there was no, there was none of this. There, there was you didn't need patience. They just all played well. It just worked. It's not supposed to work that way. I'm with you. I just, I, I don't know, and I, I'm, I'm not in the business of reacting on a daily basis. Arias goes 0 for 4 with three strikeouts, and he looks like he can't decipher if it's a fastball or a slider coming his way. To me, I'm not writing him off because of that day. And the next day, he smokes one to dead center, 420 feet. Like, I'm not anointing him after that either. I don't know. And I don't think I'm going to know in six weeks, and I don't think I'm going to know at the end of March. It's going to take time. I do wonder, you know, they stockpiled all these shortstops and forever we were saying, like, look how many top 100 prospects they have and the farm system's great. And, like, that's all true. But they never had the one guy, the Francisco Lindor, the no-doubter, the, the guy who had such a high floor that you could trot him out from day one and then get excited about what his ceiling could be. There are chances, like, like there was no, it wasn't pass-fail with Lindor. It was pass or really, really, really pass. And with all these guys right now, it feels like it's all pass-fail. Like, I don't, you, they could all flop. Some might, they could all, they could all excel. I, I, I don't know. Um, and I think that's what's tricky about the whole developing while contending is it's a lot easier, obviously, when you have, those prospects with really high floors. But there's so such a big swing here with guys like Arias with that skill set or with Rokio that I I don't know what to make of it. And I think the bigger thing is I don't know when we'll know. So when you go into next season, it's like it's really hard to predict just because anything could happen. And I think Arias is the type of guy who could have some seasons that are just blow your mind. And some seasons where you're, you want him in AAA. That's just the way the profile fits. So I, I I don't know, but I understand your answer. Neither of us mentioned someone who is going to be very important in 24 and beyond. The starting catcher for this team, Bo Naylor. And we both screamed about him for months watching Zanino play that we wanted to see Naylor. We wanted him to get some of his legitimate firsts out of the way. I mean, he had tasted Major League action before in 22, but this we, we wanted him to get some real run, to learn how to handle a pitching staff, to see Major League pitching. And with the way this season is going, to do it in an atmosphere that doesn't have the stakes that a, a you know legitimate playoff race would have. And so maybe there's not that that crunch of, feeling that that pressure every single day looking at 24 do you feel like Naylor has demonstrated enough I know that there's still a month plus to go has demonstrated enough that you're comfortable with him just being the regular catcher next year and other than addressing who's going to be the backup whether it's internally or another veteran sort of guy 
that that is the catcher of a team that has eyes on contending. So I still believe in him. Um, I I really like the swing. I've told you a bunch of times this year, it's like got a little bit of Victor Martinez in it. I don't know that he's ever going to be Victor Martinez, but um, something about that swing just seems so smooth. And it, the, the one thing to me is if you look through his history, he's got like the Will Benson effect where he'll struggle initially at a level, and then it seems like he really makes adjustments well the next year. And... Think of everything he's had thrown at him. I mean, it's it's probably a blessing in disguise almost that he's gotten to work with pitchers that he worked with in the minors. But it's still, you're doing it at a new level with new well, you know, opponents every single game that you're studying for. I said to him at one point, I don't remember where we were, but he was just like, he walked past me in the clubhouse and then I was standing somewhere else and he walked past me again. He's he's never just stationary before games because he's in this meeting and then he's in that meeting and he's talking to Carl Willis and then he's talking to Chris Valeka and then he's talking to the pitcher that day. And it's just, there's so much on your plate when you're a catcher and when you're a rookie catcher, like your head has to be spinning. And the last thing that you have time for is batting practice and your offensive approach and studying the pitchers you're going to be facing that night. So that's not an excuse because there are catchers who do this and the goal is to be able to handle all that and thrive. But I'm just not, his struggles don't bother me. I think as much as someone playing another position, I do think there are questions about defensively some of like the innate, stuff you know they always talk about like transfer and just your movements and you can see the athleticism i've heard sandy alomar talk about like sometimes the athleticism can actually be a detriment because you're just maybe you're overcompensating for something or you're leaning on it too much and it, i mean we've too healthy yeah no the but, doctor said i was too healthy. but you can <laughs> you can maybe let your body not be in the best position because Oh, well, I can just, you know, I can throw it 100 miles an hour. Or I can recover quickly. Sure. Um, just little things like that that maybe can make a big difference. Um, but again, like, we also watched Mike Zanino for a few months, and it. we haven't had, like, like, there have been some times where you're like, oh, Naylor, like, dropped the ball or did this or whatever, but it's not like every five minutes there's another pass ball, and you're like, what is going on here? I, I think looking ahead to next year... I would just say yeah. maybe more from an offensive Sam. I'm trying to think of like who the best match would be for him as a backup catcher. And like initially I said, you know, they've really leaned on the hedges type, the Sandy Leon, the Cam Gallagher, Luke Maley. And initially I'm like, maybe they just need someone who can hit better, someone you're not afraid to play a couple times a week, but then at the same time, it's like, you need Naylor to be that guy. Like, they need him to hit. They need him to be someone who catches five or six times a week. So, I don't know how strongly I feel about that. Um, I don't know exactly where Labastida is. I know that with Cam Gallagher on the seven-day concussion list, I know a lot of people were saying, oh, they must really hate Labastida because they could have called him up. He's been going well lately. First of all, I think he was in like an 0-for-24 slump the day that they called up Zach Collins and Zach Collins has, had been slumping for a couple months. But the main point is 
Gallagher's going to be out seven days. And if you add Lavasita to the 40 man, they didn't want to do that. And then maybe have to DFA him again. So that's the reason for that. I don't know if Lavasita is a legitimate backup catcher candidate next season. Um, I don't know. What's your, what's your take? Like who's, what's the best Sean Murphy? What's the best partner for Bo Naylor next season based on what you've seen? Well, yeah, I mean, if you can draw it up, the you think of the the profile of the right-handed hitting catcher that's not great defensively, but he actually can hit, and so it's the prototypical backup. Sure, who is that? Like who 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 is the guy that's just available that hits a lot and isn't a great catcher, hits in the right side, and and just smokes lefties? That would Jan be Gomes. the ideal. Pick Kelly Shopik, <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, Enar Diaz, yeah, Shopik a few years ago. What Jan Gomes has become, maybe. Pat Borders. Uh, I'm not going to stop. Uh-huh. Sal Fasano. Can't stop, won't stop. Mike Redmond. Getting thrown out at first base. On a single to right field. I don't have a name for you. But, I, I mean, yeah, you would love somebody that could maybe take some pressure off on some days and face the lefties and, and actually contribute something. You know, you know, provided Sandy continues to be part of the coaching staff, like there's there's someone you learn from. There's the there's the guy that's teaching you all the ins and the outs. I'm not as concerned about maybe as I would have been this year as of having the veteran at least having him here once the landing takes place, like you had with Cam Gallagher. So I'm not as concerned about that. Just looking at Naylor himself, it's been pretty much what I would have expected. The offense hasn't been great. He hasn't looked like he's completely lost. He still maintains a double-digit walk rate, so it's like not like the eye has evaporated to the point where he's up there just, uh, I got to make something happen. No, he's still willing to take the walks, which is good. Uh, the strikeouts are sort of high, but I anticipated that. I would have been much more alarmed, like you're seeing with Arias, like a 33% strikeout rate, and you're like, you better hit the ball damn hard because you're striking out 33% of the time. With Naylor, it's in the 27 range. If he can live like around 25%, I'm okay with that to go along with the eye and then showcase some power. And you see the extra base power I am, too. That's, that's uh, been a you good do, sign. You do. I, I am, I'm cut and, and defensively. Yeah. He, he had the ball, the, the time he dropped the ball coming in and, but overall, like there haven't been many moments where I actually notice him defensively and that from a positive and negative standpoint, there's nothing like he's done that we had the one where he's caught the what was the one in Kansas City where he caught the the pitch out spun and threw down to second base like that was a jaw-dropping play but I haven't noticed him too much on the either side of of being good or bad defensively it's just been kind of fine the numbers back that up like the framing is somewhere in the middle pop time a little bit above average uh all all places I'm sure he can grow I mean because he's in his age 23 season so I'm, I'm comfortable with him being the starting catcher moving into next year I really think he'll just continue to progress and get better in all areas of the game because it, we have seen this play out at every level, as you said. This is just kind of how it goes for him. He struggles, he learns, and then he gets better. I, I think he'll continue to do that because he he, ha- he has the the tools to do it. It's just a matter of can he put it all together. I think I think he will. I I, I believe he'll he'll be more than fine behind the plate, and we're not going to be continuing this for the next ten years of looking for the catcher and who's it going to be. I'm cool with it. Yeah. 
He's I mean he's important, but I You see the skills. And I think especially considering the catchers they've had in recent years, like it's crazy when you see wait, Cleveland's catcher is strolling to the plate and he's he's three for three tonight with two doubles? What? First time since two thousand nine. No, so it's it's that's in there. I'm I'm not worried about him. I think if you're trying to draw up a lineup for 2024, I think you can feel decent about Quan, Ramirez, Naylor, Naylor, Jimenez, Manzardo. And there are some leaps of faith in that too, but at yeah. least that's the six you're building around. Now tell me who the shortstop is, who the center fielder is, who the right fielder <laughs> is. And we can move. My concern is there's a lot of just fine. Where's the, like, we saw Naylor take a step and actually become a legitimate Mm -hmm. major league threat this year. And before this, it was like, yeah, he's okay. But then you're like really feeling great about him. They need one other process, at least one, to make a similar sort of jump like that he has. And then that, that makes the rest of the lineup. And then you're, you're, Living okay with Jimenez being like a average-ish bat with great defense and, and good stolen base ability because you're not relying on him to take that jump forward and be this megastar. You need some one more guy at least in this lineup to do that. My my concern, and, and concern is probably too strong of a word, is I don't know that they have that with the prospects that they have. And so now you're looking at the next wave. You know, Is Juan Brito that? Is, is Manzardo that? It, I but here's the thing. You have to hope that somebody within the pipeline is capable of doing that. And when are they going to do that? Right? Maybe Valera's the guy. Maybe <laughs> he is. Maybe this was just a bad year and he's, he's showing over the last week that like it's in there. But when's he going to demonstrate that at the major league level? We're talking about patience for Arias mm-hmm. and Rocchio. Well, Valera comes up next season. Got to have patience, right? And even in 2025, and when do you make a decision? that This is, it's tough. Well, I, I think the problem is that we get so caught up in just determining what a guy's career is going to look like and whether or not he's going to be this best version of himself. And really, it is closer to that pass-fail that you're thinking of earlier. Like, is this a guy that passes on to next year and this is part of the group? And we hope that among the group there's an answer in there? Is that the only way you can look at prospects? Like it's it's not so much about, yeah, we're penciling this guy in in twenty twenty seven. It's is he part of our team in twenty four? Do we feel good about that? Is do we feel good enough that we're not looking for an alternative at this position? Well, I think the big thing is maybe that's that's as simple. If as it you gets. have depth, it makes it easier. If you have if you go get yeah. an established legitimate corner outfielder, then let those guys find their way onto the roster organically. Let them force their way on. Let, let you know, an injury happens and then Valera comes up and he just rakes. Let him stay. The problem is when you have five shortstops competing for one spot and you're not sure how to divvy up playing time and give everybody enough of a leash but not too much of a leash where you're costing other people playing time and hurting everyone's trade value and you're getting no answers. And you can't do that at every position. Like, you need some established presences and I think they're going to have to get a couple of those externally. 
presences pre- presence i presence presence i that does, that's the word that doesn't I think it's feel just like presence in this very Pres- moment well, that does sound weird as as the uh the guardians give away another guitar i was <laughs> thinking about like we laugh about it like to be fair the guitar looked pretty sweet it did i love i go i love cabrera giving jose the the little fighting pose and jose's just like Please don't, please. <laughs> like, I, don't want, I don't want this to define me. Like he's so not into embracing that. I was thinking of remember growing up, whether it's birthdays, whether it's holidays, Christmases. You'd you'd have one family member. For me, as I was getting older, my mom would do this all the time, where she would start to give you the essentials. Like at Christmas time, you'd get a pack of socks and some toothbrushes and toothpaste and like stuff you just at that age you're not really thinking about going to the store to go buy that stuff right and you're like really this is this is what was in my stocking but you get to the age the first year where they don't get you that anymore and then you realize wait i was kind of counting on that like i kind I'm kind of feeling bad because now I actually have to go get my own socks at the store. I have, to, I have to go take care of all this stuff that you were. I was counting on that. Yeah, it was boring, but I was counting on that. I'm wondering if we're going to get to a point where Cleveland's going to stop giving away guitars and players are going to be like, well, what? I was kind of, I was kind of wanting that guitar. It was kind of cool. I saw Miggy get it. I saw all these other players get this cool music stuff. I wanted that. And I'm wondering at some point if that's going to happen. As we all roll our eyes because it's always a guitar. It is always a guitar. I had an aunt who used to send me a Starbucks gift card every year when I had never had coffee in my life. This is like college, early days out of college. I had never had coffee until like 2015. And I had a Starbucks gift card. I never knew what to do. I think one year I gave it to Jordan Bastion because he drinks six cups a day. And then I started drinking coffee, and I guess I reached the age where I don't get gifts anymore. Because she still sends a card, oh, no. and it's just empty. And I'm like, I could really use that Starbucks gift card now, but uh, <laughs> that's the way it works. You or go guitar. back in time. What do you want? Yeah, guitar. Like for like, I'm trying to picture. We're all we all laugh about it because we see it all the time. But for players that don't see that all the time, is that something they actually like? Is it something that's cool? I don't know. I have no idea. Can I read a really cool Miggy stat, by the way? This sure. This is credit to for it. Guardians stat intern Luke Petoskey. Uh, five players in their careers have had a 300 average, 50 home runs, and 175 RBIs against Cleveland. It's Babe Ruth, Ted Williams, Lou Gehrig, Jimmy Fox, and Miguel Cabrera. Pretty wild. Good company. And so are you. <laughs>